You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it is a preview Thursday as we turn the page to week nine of the 2022 NFL season. We're breaking down all things Dolphins and Bears with a look at the matchups position by position, key stats and tape study, what's at stake this week, the three keys to victory, and we'll also hear from quarterback Tua Tungavailoa from his Wednesday press conference. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios Inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. A trip to the Midwest, the monsters of the Midway. First game in Chicago since a pretty resounding victory back in 2014. And if I recall correctly, Mike Wallace had a couple of touchdowns in that game. Ryan Tannehill had a long run on a designed zone read on fourth and short. Was that also the game where Tannehill got shoved and face-planted into the grass, and if you screenshotted it at the right time, he looked like the actual Dolphins logo? I think it was. Also played a crazy game back in 2018 where the Dolphins won at the buzzer on a Jason Sanders field goal, I believe that was. For the Bears, wins have been hard to come by since that 2018 season. They had that team that year who won 12 games and looked like a real threat but the double doink kept them out of the divisional round that season. And that's where we'll pick it up since then they have pivoted to a new head coach GM combo after that 12 win NFC North title winning 2018 season. It's been eight and eight, eight and eight and six and 11 enter Matt Eberflus who operates one of the most creative defenses in the NFL and has consistently produced results with the Colts and then now with the Chicago Bears. The GM is Ryan Poles, a former player who has been busy putting his fingerprints all over the roster, and most recently with the acquisition of Chase Claypool of the Steelers, or formerly of the Steelers, who is just the latest of a busy remake in the wide receiver room. This regime inherited the very talented Darnell Mooney, but then went to work adding receivers like Chase Claypool, Byron Pringle, Nikhil Harry, Vellis Jones Jr., Equinemius St. Brown, They also brought in Ryan Griffin to pair with Cole Komet and drafted David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert the last couple of years. So they have their young nucleus assembled around a 2021 first-round draft pick, an uber-talented quarterback with rare, rare running ability, a player they also traded up for in Justin Fields. Now, just because it's been a bunch of moves doesn't mean it's been, you know, all that effective. That wide receiver corpse kind of reminds me of the 2020, 2020, 2020, 2012 Dolphins on hard knocks when Jeff Ireland said we got a bunch of fours and fives and sixes, though I do feel the Bears have a bunch of threes and fours and Mooney is a dynamite number two, but you get the idea. And we've seen a little bit of a jump here from Justin Fields in the last couple of weeks. I think the offense is catering more and more to his skill set, particularly in these last few weeks. 
he has a lot to handle when he goes off script or keeps it on designed runs. He's adding in the in more explosive downfield passing elements, and we'll break his game down here in the preview, but he was far and away my QB2 in that class behind Trevor Lawrence. It's not a great class so far, but I'm a big believer in what Justin Fields offers, and I still think that there's a path for him to be the best quarterback out of that draft. Right now, I might take him over all of the other quarterbacks so far in that 21 class. They've invested, the Bears, a little bit into the offensive line, most notably a second-round pick on Tevin Jenkins, who's looked better since kicking inside to guard from that right tackle to right guard position, but they've really had to shuffle up front with some injuries. It's good to see the roster overhaul on offense to pair with a defense that has been you know, pretty good for a long time, regardless of the personnel. They did lose stalwart Akeem Hicks this offseason. They just traded Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith, so three really big losses and they've had a tough time replacing those guys. It is a big front. Guys like Alkadin Muhammad, Mike Pennell, Armin Watts, Justin Jones, Angelo Blackson, and Travis Gibson. It's not all that dissimilar to what Eberflus had in Indianapolis with a big defensive line to free up their athletic linebackers, even in a post-Roquan Smith world. They had Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner, Quiddy Pay, gap control with good rush integrity to help keep your linebackers clean. They went heavy in the secondary of this draft, and a lot of folks said, hey, Go get your quarterback some help. But they went with uh, Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker. More on them here in just a minute. They do give the Bears, in my opinion, the strength of their roster in that secondary as they pair with Eddie Jackson and Jalen Johnson. It's a team that can burn you with the full complement of their running game. That's really, you know, the secondary is probably the strength of the team, but the backs with the quarterback in the running game is how they operate. Uh, Offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, who worked under Matt LaFleur in Green Bay off that Shanahan tree, so stuff we've seen here before. Two power backs and a quarterback who's up there with Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts in the athletic quarterback department and a defense that generates takeaways under a great defensive-minded coach and Matt Eberflus. His defensive coordinator is Alan Williams. Let's go ahead and dive into how they do it all. Dolphins offense, Bears defense, starting off here with the offense and quarterback of the Dolphins versus the safety and structure of the Bears defense. So it's a read and react defense. They like to control the point and play read and react on the back end, get disruption up front and play top down football where they flow from the second and third level using safeties and linebackers to clean things up and make all kinds of tackles. More on that here in just a second. It's why I think that this misdirection, eye candy, false keys offense could potentially give them issues if we draw up a great game plan. You have athletes at key spots, like look at what, he had there in Indianapolis in three critical areas. The three, three of the most important positions in this defense, from what I've you know researched and found, is the is the three tech, the defensive tackle. They had DeForest Buckner there. Your weak side linebacker, Shaq Leonard, was the guy there, and your nickel, which was Kenny Moore. All three of those guys were Pro Bowlers. They put a lot on their plates and they executed a high level. So, what are the analogs there for this Bears defense? Well. It was Akeem Hicks and Roquan Smith and then Kyler Gordon, who's still there and a good player. But for the Bears, you know, Nicholas Morrow is the will. Justin Jones plays that three technique. And then rookie Kyler Gordon, one of the best athletes I've ever seen in that slot nickel spot. But he is a rookie, and teams have gone after him accordingly. You'll see a lot of zone on this defense, lots of eyes back on the quarterback. They want to generate takeaways. Again, they did that in Indy. They're doing it here in Chicago with 13 takeaways. as tied for the sixth most in the NFL right now. And it's not just picks. They punch the ball out just like they always have done going back to the peanut Tillman days. In fact, of their seven forced fumbles, six of them have come from defensive backs. Two hands on the ball after the catch is paramount. And if you can 
read the breadcrumbs at this point. You can probably predict this. Their blitz rate is 14.2%. That is the lowest in the National Football League. So four-man rushes for Tua all day long on Sunday. So it's less than every one of every six snaps where they do bring that extra pass rusher. I would imagine they probably back off of that against the Dolphins because as quarterback is slaying the blitz, is also slaying the non-blitz, also slaying man coverage and zone coverage and your moms, your uncles, your bobs, your uncles, aunts, and stuff like that. He's pretty much beating everybody right now. But they do generate pressure, 32nd blitz rate and the 19th highest pressure rate at 22.3%. They haven't converted those into many sacks, just 13. But again, pressure is about so much more than sacks, and they'll get those takeaways by disrupting the opposing passing game as a result. I do want to be abundantly clear that most of that pressure came from Robert Quinn's speed off the edge, giving heavy-footed left tackles issues. That element is, of course, gone. Speaking of Tua's stats versus the Blitz and versus coverage, against the Blitz, uh, 69% completion, nice 8.4 yards per pass, two touchdowns, no picks. That's a 108.2 passer rating on 53 dropbacks. Against the non-Blitzing coverage looks, 70%, 9.2 yards per pass, 10 teddies, and three interceptions. It's a 114.3 passer rating on 147 dropbacks. So pick your poison. It'll be important for us to win those one-on-one rush matchups and for Tua to play like he has been in terms of the speed and processing and decisions that he has put out there so far, putting the ball in the soft spots where you're basically throwing to a spot before your guy gets there with that pristine accuracy anticipation. It's akin to the Ravens game where I mentioned how Tips and overthrows typically go back the other way. And we saw that with Marcus Williams getting that one uh, tipped ball on Tyreek Hill that turned into an interception. You have to be sharp there because this defense will keep their eyes on the quarterbacks and clean up mistakes. But it does offer some openings as well. So it's give and take for a defense. How they align, 24% of the time they're in the 34 3% of the time, they're on the 43. So it is a 3-4 defense and base. Nickel is 70%. They do have two snaps in dime and two short yardage heavy personnel snaps. So it's two groupings, your 3-4 and your nickel. So does Miami want to go heavier? Do they want to go spread and open it up and force the Bears to get more defensive backs on the field? It's a lot of off coverage uh, where they basically slot they, they exchange their slot linebacker for rundowns and pass downs off coverage, three to one ratio of off versus press. So for every four snaps they play, three is going to be off coverage. One's going to be press. Lots of zone, some man, but plenty of hybrids on both with zone on one side, man on the other side of the field. So it's a lot to kind of decipher as Matt Eberflus is getting his fingerprints on this defense, the way Mike McDaniel's getting his fingerprints on the Miami offense. In the Dallas game, when the Cowboys would get to their three by one sets, They would often isolate a one-on-one matchup to the boundary, the short side of the field, your ex-receiver, and Dallas trusted that receiver to win that matchup, and they did time and time again in that game. And you can see the function of their defense based on how the next-gen charts of the opposing quarterbacks look. It's almost exclusively passes between the numbers inside the 10-yard box for the teams going against the Chicago Bears. They'll zone turn, put their butt to the sideline, eyes on the quarterback, and funnel you inside. The good news for us is that Tua has been, like he has been every single other element of the game, but he's been seeing those intermediate windows over the middle of the field and reacting before the defense can. You're going to get light boxes, you're going to get inside axis, and you'll run into some shoddy tackling in the back end. This feels like a run game, swings, screens, quick pops, and a big yard after catch game from my perspective. I think this is the week we see Raheem rip off a big run, and I would venture to guess we challenge our season high and yak yardage. Those are kind of two areas I'm looking at. Really, the entire defense funnels through the safety play they are getting. Jaquan Brisker 
He's had an up and down rookie season, but you can see the potential there. 65% completion going after him with 122 yards on 254 coverage snaps, a touchdown, a pick, four QB pressures on just 13 pass rush snaps. He is has a very quick burst and get off uh, from the line of scrimmage, just 13 pass rush snaps though. And he has 12 run stops too, so he can insert against the running game. Eddie Jackson is one of my favorite players in the entire league. 50% completion with just 59 yards allowed on 259 coverage snaps. Two touchdowns allowed, but four picks and seven run stops. He is as good as it gets. Keep your eye on number four back there. He is the glue to that defense. They are uber athletic and can mask all kinds of potential mistakes with their speed. Now that said, Brisker and the backers, sounds like a band, will over-pursue the running game. Brisker's run-fitting versus Dallas was not good. He also got caught in coverage several times. Like, Dallas could ID their man coverage and would go after Brisker when they got the matchups they want. They scored a touchdown on Brisker with CeeDee Lamb in the game on Sunday. I think the eye candy we can give the rookie will cause all kinds of problems, whereas Jackson, i just probably stay away from him. He's a bad, bad dude. They rotate and fill really well to, to replace their blitzes. Uh, the defensive back play has been solid. Brisker plays fast. Eddie Jackson has that range. I think we can force their corners out of man coverage, though, where they want to play. And, and as for their pre-snap alignment, it's been fairly evenly split between single high and two high. 53% of the time they're in single high, 43% they're in two high, and they have 16 snaps in zero coverage to dial up that pressure look. And they have one snap and a three high look that, of course, is the uh, one of the two dime package calls they've made. So, yeah, not a ton of variety. So, Hopefully the Dolphins have a great game plan ready to attack what they do best. At the receiver and tight end versus cornerback matchup here, Dallas went after Kyler Gordon when he was in on those one-on-one looks, and they went after Kendall Vildor as well. They completed four of four on him for just 39 yards, but they were critical downs, all first downs, and it was clear they were isolating that matchup in that game. You know we love the relative athletic scorecard here on the podcast. Kendall Vildor is a 4-4-4 guy, but he also measured in the 44th percentile in short shuttle, 30th in three cone, and 47th in 10 split. So not a lot of burst in his game. For Johnson, 4-5-40, not a lot of long speed there. He was 77th percentile in short shuttle, but 51st on three cone and 55th in 10-yard split. Again, short range. That's why I think it's a quick game for the Miami Dolphins here. Uh, not a lot of change of direction skill. Then Kyler Gordon was elite. Just the 4-5 speed vertically, but 90th plus percentile in all the quickness measurements. So we get our when we get our race cars on the perimeter, 10 and 17, I think you can win quickly and get into run-after-catch positions and then against Gordon, maybe see if you can hit some of those slot fades. I think we could see a lot of stacks and bunches to create some of those free releases and also force the Bears to think, you know, thinking against speed can be costly. Like if, if they're not processing fastly, it's going to be costly for them in the end. Uh, the three top cornerbacks in terms of snaps played and their stats, Gordon, 259 snaps, 496 yards allowed. You want to be around one per coverage snap. That is not a good number for him. But it's again, rookies, it's tough to play corner well in this league as a rookie, especially, especially in the slot. Kendall Vildor, 246 snaps, 232. It's a little bit better. Uh, pretty good, actually, I should say. And then Jalen Johnson, 156 coverage snaps and 120 yards allowed. Teams are going after the rookie. Pretty obvious. Vildor and Johnson are bigger corners, longer corners that play with physicality. I shouldn't say bigger. They, they just play more with more physicality. And Gordon is that superb athlete with, with really good change of direction. And again, plays primarily inside. But the crazy part about that is that Gordon's the biggest body of the group. So like, how does that, how do you figure? If you include Jalen Jones, their fourth highest snap taker at cornerback, Gordon is the only one who tops six foot and 200 pounds. He's right at those benchmarks. The other guys are 5'10", 5'11", between 185 and 195. But they don't run that fast. So it's like, 
You have fast guys that are also small. I, I just I don't really see where the matchup is there for them in terms of positivity. They'll play off coverage, eyes on the quarterback, and they'll come up and tackle. They're really good tacklers. So it could be interesting to see if a counter to the off coverage in the screen game is, and then from there, it's a lot of good on good in terms of what can 10 and 17 do with the ball in their hands uh, on top of the perimeter blocking we get from the entire room, most notably Trent Sherfield, who has a couple of great blocks every single week. We continue to see Tyreek and Jalen push the top of the defense off, remove the roof of the defense, and we see a lot of separation. We've seen some good mix of getting the football to the rest of the eligibles, you know, Mike, River, Trent, the backs. It's an interesting matchup and in that the Bears funnel everything inside, and that's where Miami has been so, so dangerous. So, I like that matchup quite a lot. As for the tight end position, we're seeing Mike get more involved in some key moments in the passing game and cashing in with some touchdowns. That sort of plays into their funnel funnel in, top-down defense. You know, Dalton Schultz had six for 74 last week, and a lot of that was quick passing game off free releases and finding soft spots in the zone. That's where Mike has picked up most of his production this season. You go back to week four, a lot of the same for Irv Smith of the Vikings. He had four for 42 in that game, doing a lot of that, working into the flats off split flow action, which, of course, is what Miami does. We move inside to the offensive line versus defensive line. And boy, they sure felt the absence of Robert Quinn last week. The Cowboys ran right at that spot over and over again, and it was very effective. Dallas ran for 200 yards last week. 102 of that came running off left end. The next biggest gap of production for them was off right guard for 34 yards. So you, you can tell they knew where to attack, really in the run game and the passing game were effective in both. They'll rotate the Bears, Armand Watts, Justin Jones, and Angelo Blackson inside. They all have between 10 and 13 run stops, and their pressure numbers there of those three, three for Watts, 10 for Jones, and three for Blackson. So... Not a lot of disruption inside. Justin Jones has been disruptive, uh, but this is a team that gets their pressures off the edge primarily. And off the edge, they called upon Travis Gibson to take on a lot of the workload left behind by Robert Quinn. And he's a similar build in terms of the length and power he plays with. He's not going to fire up the field and bend the edge with the same quickness and, and urgency that Quinn did. I mean, who can? But he's a smart player who can play off contact and keep eyes on the quarterback and running back. Again, the Cowboys just ran right at that. The Bears in general are incredibly soft off the edges in the running game. And I think Miami can really hit that outside zone, quick passing game, jet sweep screen game, and really control the ball in this game and get whatever they want in the small chunks, the five to 15 yard range. So maybe, maybe we'll, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to doubt this team's ability to go you know, vertical, but maybe it's less like vertical passing and more ball control this week. The Bears also kept getting Roquan Smith sucked up into the wash, but I think it's a function of their system to play that read and react defense. That's why I think a play-action heavy team that uses, you know, you know, counter looks and fake pulls and stuff that sells the play action like Kellen Moore does in Dallas, I think can give them fits. In fact, that read and react style puts a lot of emphasis on their backers to get it right, and that's why play action passing has absolutely killed them. 31 of 40 are opposing teams over the last four games on play-action passing for 363, three tugs, and a pick. So getting the run game going and using play-action off of that is going to be a very big part of that. They play so aggressively up front, uh, that's that's how teams attack them with that aggression. You use it against them. Get them going one way, go back the other way. And there just has been no interior pass rush for this Bears front. And without Quinn, there's not going to be much off of Tua's left side either. So you need to get... Jones inside blocked, but I think two is going to have another day of a pressure rate under 10%. And we've seen what he does with that. He, he is really tough to beat when you can't pressure him consistently. And they offer, you know, varying size and styles inside 290, 300, and 310 pounds of the sizes of Watts, Jones, and Blackson. Jones is incredibly explosive. So finding a way to 
cut him off and prevent him from creating creases in the running game. Uh, and, and, and also in pass pro, it's a tough matchup to watch, but that's kind of the guy I'm keeping an eye on, Jones inside. His work against Connor Williams and Big Rob, who typically he typically aligns that three technique to the right side of the offensive line, is a fun one to keep an eye on. But otherwise, I expect Miami to get movement all day and really hold down the pass pro and just keep a focus on Justin Jones inside. Off the edge, the pressures and run stops. Travis Gibson has 19 pressures on just 131 pass rush snaps. So he's been productive, but only seven run stops. Uh, Robert Quinn was next with 14 pressures. He didn't do much in the running game either. Al-Kadin Muhammad has 11 pressures this year and six run stops. And Dominique Robinson, seven pressures and nine run stops. It's just not a lot of production off the edge in the pass rush game or against the run. And this defense is designed to create chances for the linebackers. Just looking at the raw tackle numbers, there never leave the field middle linebacker Roquan Smith led the team with 83 tackles. Then it was Eddie Jackson with 58, a big drop off there between one and two. Then Nicholas Morrow, the linebacker, had 56. Then you get three more DBs. Then we get Justin Jones, a D tackle with 24. And the first edge on the tackles list is al Kadin Muhammad, who has just 18 tackles. He's 10th on the team. You have 13 tackles for Robinson, 13 for Gibson, and then Quinn had eight. They do not make many tackles on their D line. Quinn and Armstead would have been a great heavyweight fight, but I think this one with Gibson's pretty good too. Gibson has incredible length. We've seen how Tehran can cut that off when he goes and just gets his guy and shortens the runway. And if Gibson plays that upfield shoulder, that might just help Tehran like say, okay, go ahead and go around the quarterback. I'll be right here waiting for you when you get back. And also give two of those clear lanes, but also minimize him in the running game. The way teams have minimized his effectiveness, and of course, you know, if Miami can get out to a lead, is to just run the ball right at that spot. Run production hasn't been there. The Dolphins should dominate that matchup. Let's go ahead and finish up with Dolphins running backs versus Bears linebackers. We've got Jeff Wilson in the house, and Coach said he will play. How much? We will see. But Raheem Mostert has been rolling, and we know Wilson knows the system pretty well, too, so I have to imagine that's your one-two punch. Chicago held the Patriots to 70 rushing yards two weeks ago after getting out to that big lead, but their totals with Dallas and then the games before that 200 yards against Dallas before New England, 128, 117, 262, 92, 203, 176. Teams can run the ball on this Bears defense. Nicholas Morrow signed there this spring after playing in Las Vegas for the first four years of his career. He has the athletic ability and speed to pursue wide against these fast Miami backs. But again, teams have gone after him in coverage as a result. And, you know, he's just 225 pounds. So you have to think if Miami can get downhill on him and block him up and wall him off with the work they've been getting from the interior three all season. It's another good matchup for Miami. That does look like a strength of the Dolphins in terms of, you know, handling the athletic speed outside. So good on good in that regard. They acquired AJ Klein in the trade. So I'm curious to see if he steps in for Smith right away because he's the closest analog on the roster. Smith was 235, 6'1". I don't know why I did that backwards. Klein, 6'1", 240, so almost the same body type. Uh, Klein is a far cry from Roquan speed, 4.66 compared to 4.5. And Klein's played just 15 snaps this year, but he has logged over 4,300 career snaps and has been one of those downhill uh, run game disruptors, kind of like a Landon Roberts. Outside of that, Joe Thomas played 93 snaps this year, almost exclusively in the running game with 62 of his snaps coming against the run. He has nine run stops, and rookie Jack Sanborn has played just 13 snaps all season long. Nicholas Morrow is the straw that stirs the drink now. Uh, his numbers, 20 run stops under 10%, but pretty good number. Three pressures on 13 pass rush snaps, and again, targeted 24 times in coverage on 253 snaps. 
The result's 21 of 24 for 207. Throwing the ball against Bears linebackers should be fruitful, which plays off the running game too. So I like the chances for the offense to put a number another 30 spot on the board this week. We've seen Raheem getting quicker, more decisive each week, and I feel... That's certainly a credit to him, but the offensive line and staff for drilling the fundamentals and getting this run game and system more and more familiar each week. Again, my bold prediction this week is Raheem hits his first 50-plus yard run, or maybe it's like a 40-yard touchdown, but it's a big run for him, his biggest as a Dolphin. My bold take for the Dolphins offense this week. Let's go ahead and take our first break way deep into the podcast, come back on the other side and talk about the defense. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Busy, busy podcast today. All week long, you guys are getting basically double podcasts this week. We pick it back up here in segment two on this Thursday, November the 3rd edition of the Drive Time Podcast, taking a look at the Dolphins defense versus the Bears offense. Week number nine, one o'clock kickoff from Soldier Field in Chicago. We look at the Bears quarterback and offense versus the Dolphins defense and safeties. This is a Bears offense that's starting to find its footing a little bit, finding out how to play the strengths of their quarterback, and they're scoring some points. After a pretty rough outing on TNF against the Commanders back in week six, a 12-7 barn burner. They've scored 62 points and gained 761 yards, far and away the most over a two-game period under Justin Fields. And in those games, Fields has 142 on the ground, 330 through the air, five total tutties, and just one giveaway, a pick, although he did have four fumbles in the Patriots game. More on him here in just a moment. How they line up, it's a, a unique personnel grouping on offense as well. 11 personnel is just 56% of the time. That's about 20% below the average. They run 21 personnel, two backs and one tight end with, you know, fullback, 17%. They go one back, two tights, 17% as well. So lots of that two receiver sets. 13 personnel is your one back, three tight ends. They run that 5% of the time. And how about two backs and two tight ends with one receiver, 22 personnel, 4%. So half the time into 11, half the time not in 11 personnel. And there's a lot to get ready for. We saw a lot of three and four defensive back looks from Miami last week, and you could get more of that with the Bears lining up in two or less wide receiver sets nearly half the time. Could get a first look at Bradley Chubb and how he slots into that group up front with plenty of snaps to go around. I love his matchup this week, by the way. Their offense has been a methodical approach all year. So if you can get red zone stops, you can keep the score pretty low on this team, like less than 20 points. They have 13 touchdowns on 25 red zone trips. They've scored 20-plus points in four of their eight games. Each time they were better than 50% in the red zone, that's how they got 20 points. So if you hold them below 50% in the red zone, they're probably going to have in the teens or even less. Uh, Red zone stops and takeaways, the surest fire way to limit their scoring. They do have a turnover in every single game and three games with multiple turnovers. Hold them to 50% in the red zone, get multiple takeaways. You should be just fine in this game. So with Fields, an absolute dynamic runner, and the build of the offense off of that. I mean, they add gaps with multiple attached inline blockers. They condense their formations. They use two back sets and run the ball behind a fullback. They'll utilize zone read from the shotgun. 
You know, Fields catches a lot of flack, and he has some warts to smooth out for sure, but they would be lost without this guy. Everything is built off of him and the way that Baltimore's running game works through Lamar Jackson to help give those backs more production in the running game. Fields' red zone running is where they ramp it up to another level. He gets even more carries down in that area, but then you also have the element of the scramble. He's just a lot to deal with. The Cowboys had him dead to rights in a play where he rolled to his left as part of the design of the play, and then they left the backside edge unblocked, and he comes right down the barrel into Fields' face, and he just stepped around it like child's play and ran for like 15, 20 yards on third and four. So you have to be, you know, come in control and, and break down and get him to the ground. He did miss some underneath throws in that game. There was one ball that was high and carried his receiver out of bounds on an easy speed out first down conversion uh, that the Cowboys just basically gave him, and he missed that throw. He put a few balls on the wrong shoulder that looked like it would limit yak ability. But man, you can work around that stuff and, and you know miss a few layups like he is wont to do when you have that type of running ability. My plan in this game probably looks a lot like Baltimore from last year. Zero coverage, extra, extra hats in the box, off coverage, and see if Fields can consistently, one, hit those layups in the short perimeter part of the field, or two, beat us deep over the top. They've been unable to do that all year long, deep passes. They are just 8 for 28 on deep passes, 278 yards, three touchdowns, and three picks when throwing 20-plus yards down the field. It's a 64.3 passer rating. We know Javon Holland has played a big role in limiting deep passing this year, though it's obviously a team effort. But I'm curious to see Javon's usage this week. He had by far his highest number of snaps in the box last week, 21 compared to previously high being 15. He could attack... He could be a good eraser off that scramble ability, both as a blitzer and just coming from depth to attack fields. Number eight is a big key this week. They also have very little from a downfield threat standpoint, minimal separation and minimal ability to make contested catches at full speed on those verticals. They have some chances. They don't always convert them, though. Justin Fields versus the Blitz, 51% completion, 7.6 yards per pass, four touchdowns and two picks, 13 sacks on 63 dropbacks. So they've gotten to him when you blitz him. Non-blitzes also get to him 61 percent 7.5 per uh, ypa three touchdowns four picks and 18 sacks on 165 dropbacks so you can get fields under pressure and get him to the ground get some negative plays out of his offense last week it was a lot of roan mckinley deep when javon came down i think that his instincts serve him well there but it's a lot to put on his plate if you're going to play that zero look. How about the guys that Fields has to throw to? The receivers and tight ends versus corners. The majority of that room is built around big body guys who either excel with their contested catchability or nuance to create separation. Darnell Mooney is a monster with the latter. Vellis Jones Jr. I think is their fastest guy. He took a jet sweep around an unset edge for the, against the Cowboys for a big gain. He also got on top of their defense and Fields hit him, but he couldn't finish the catch going to the ground. If they can get those deep ball connections going, they might be tough to defend, but right now it's not working for them. The problem is that issue you know, that Vellis has not pulling in that contested catch down the field, it's kind of unanimous across the board. Like, if you're in the area, you typically can get a PBU on it or just an incompletion. Even when their speed guys get verticals, they just don't make plays in the football, whether it's Pettis, St. Brown, Claypool. They, those guys don't separate, but the the vertical skill set guy, ver, vertical speed guys have had trouble hanging on to footballs down the field. We saw Claypool here a couple of weeks ago. The Bears do some of the same things that the Steelers did in terms of throwing that vertical pass to the X, the short side of the field, in three-by-one sets. Get your attention over here. Get one receiver on the backside and throw him the football one-on-one. 
That's where Claypool made a lot of his big plays for the Steelers and George Pickens too. If they can get him in that spot, I'd imagine they at least think about some shots to chase Claypool. Against us, he went against X, uh, one for two on the targets and completions for 11 yards. Justin Bethel, two of three for 15 yards. Clayton Fedulum was 0 for 1 in terms of catching the ball on Fedulum. Then he caught a pair of passes that were attributed to Duke and Gink in coverage, good for a total of 14 yards on two of two. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets a heavy workload coming to a new team here. One guy that we know will is Darnell Mooney. Now the Cowboys took him out of the game in the first half last week, but he responded with five for 70 in the second half. He does it by chasing blinds, blind spots, setting up his routes with a purpose, attacking leverage, stemming and stacking like a 10 year vet, man. He is so good. Really, really good player on the year. He's caught just 25 of 41 targets for 364, but no touchdowns. This team doesn't throw the ball very often. The team as a whole has just 1200 receiving yards and seven touchdowns. They are the definition of of a run team as much as you can be here in 2020. Nikhil Harry came back off the IR last week and caught all three of his targets for 38 yards and a touchdown. And then Equinemius St. Brown has 11 grabs on 23 targets for 164 and a touchdown. That is like Devontae Parker numbers. It's not been a productive group this year for the Bears. How do you approach it? The problem here is against a group that has had more success against zone and struggled to separate against man coverage is this. You play man coverage and you don't maintain good rush lane integrity on every single play. Fields will get you eventually, so trying to find a way to marry your man coverage with your effective rush packages is going to be key. They're physical wide receivers across the board from a style standpoint. You probably have to find a way to match up against that across the board. I absolutely love the way Cater Kohu plays from a competition and physicality standpoint. I think he's getting really close to us being able to go back to a place where it's like we have two really good outside corners with uh, prominent man coverage because he's so good at being physical and disrupting timing inside or outside. He's really been only beaten on zone looks this year, but also you do have to be able to match or mix and match, I should say, zone and man to effectively disguise your coverage. So hopefully he's getting better in that area each week. I think he is. Last week we saw X play every snap, Kohu all but three snaps, and then Igbo played 19, Cross and 14 with Bethel giving you 11. So I'm curious to see if that's a look this week. X and Cater full-time with a mix for that third cornerback role and this defense largely stays to their side so as far as matchups kind of up to the Bears to make that decision offensive line versus defensive line it's tough to build great offensive lines in this league and the Bears have invested their resources but it hasn't really panned out for them they've drafted Tevin Jenkins who's getting you know a bit of a baptism by fire at right guard he's played alongside Riley Reef in for the injured Larry Borum Reef is a stabilizing force but he can struggle with speed rushers Braxton Jones at left tackle is having a really tough time. And his worst game was against a team that's kind of like us in terms of big, heavy defensive ends like Zach Sealer and Christian Wilkins uh, kicking outside. A six-pressure night allowed versus Washington. And then Lucas Patrick, the left guard. Sam Mustafer is the center. And the pressures allowed. Braxton Jones, 25 this year. It's a lot. Lucas Patrick, 16 on just 146 pass rush, uh, pass blocking snaps. Sam Mustafer has 11 inside. That's a very good number for 240 pass blocking snaps. Tevin Jenkins, just eight on, on 200 pass blocking snaps. And then Riley Reef was his first game last week. He allowed just one pressure in that game. He's been a nice stabilizing force for them, or for the one game, I should say. In the absence of Larry Borum, who had just 10 pressures allowed on 208 pass blocking snaps, that right tackle position has been their most productive this season. I think I'm most looking forward to Zach Sealer matching up with uh, Tevin Jenkins because they're both massive, strong, and play with a bit of an edge. 
Now, on the other side, Patrick goes 315. Jenkins and Mustafer are 325. And at tackle, Jones and Reef are both just 310. So literally no left tackle, left guard combination has surrendered more pressures this year than Chicago, just in time for Bradley Chubb to get here. That left side's undersized. I think it's going to be a long day going up against Chubb, Sealer, Wilkins, Ingram over there. And then you have the speed rush and speed to power for Jalen against Riley Reef. Watch 15 this week. I bet you he gets a sack on speed to power. That's my defensive bold prediction. And that Bradley Chubb gets a lot of pressure as well. That and a lot of tackles for loss and quick penetration from the left side of the Chicago offensive line is what I'm thinking. Those pressures they've surrendered don't necessarily mean success for the defense, though. Fields can absorb those and make big plays out of them. So the key is getting multiple wins and staying true to your rush lanes and keeping the Bears and passing downs is obviously a key. When they get the run game cranking, they can really turn that on. So a big part of that, our last position group here on this side of the football, running backs versus linebackers, Khalil Herbert's a load, man. You have to bring sound tackling against him. He's got 373 yards after initial contact on 23 missed tackles force and 4.1 yards on average after initial contact. That's on 91 attempts. It's one of the top 10 missed tackles forced rates in all of football. So was David Montgomery, by the way, 290 yards after contact on 92 carries with 26 forced missed tackles. You must, must, must tackle against these guys. Between the two of them and fields, they have a combined 68 missed tackles force. That is far and away the most by any trio of teammates in the NFL. Herbert is 5'9", 212. Montgomery, 5'11", 224. They're bowling balls. They play low. They'll hit you in the face. They've also caught 19 of their 20 targets combined this year uh, for a buck 97 and a touchdown. So a big day for Baker, Roberts, Riley, the entire linebacking crew to recognize screens, take on blocks, and bring their lunch pails and tackle in the running game. On special teams, Jason Sanders still perfect under 50, 11 for 11, still 0 for 3 on 50-plus yarders. Uh, Hasn't tried one since the Vikings game. He's 19 for 20 on PATs. For the Bears, Cairo Santos is a perfect 2 of 12 this season, including four makes from 50-plus, although interestingly, all of those are either 50 or 51 yards. He's 11 for 13 on PATs. In the punting game, Thomas Morrison had one punt last week, 38-yarder that pinned the line to the 11-yard line. He's averaging 45.5 per punt on 30 kicks. His hang time's been great. Minimal returns. He's not hitting touchbacks hardly ever. For the Bears, Trenton Gills averaging 48.5 per punt on 31 punts. Let's go ahead and take our last break right here. Come back and tell you what's at stake. The three keys to victory. Pick the week nine games, and we'll hear from quarterback Tua Tungavailoa. All of that next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's at stake when the Dolphins travel to Soldier Field on Sunday? Really the same setup as last week. It's a cross-conference game. Doesn't have an impact on tiebreakers in the AFC, but it certainly impacts the most important column, the win column. Another chance to prove that you can win on the road, outdoors, and potentially crappy weather. We'll see about that, though. Those Midwest weather reports change all the time, but currently it says like 15, 20-mile-per-hour wind gusts. We'll see. A two-game streak is at stake. 
now that we've crossed the or will cross the halfway point at halftime of this game for the symmetry of the schedule, the Dolphins are currently in the wild card position number six. So maintaining that, keeping pressure on the Bills atop the division, there's always a lot at stake in these games, right? But in general, not much in terms of anything outside the win or loss. My three keys of the game contain the explosive Bears running game. At first, I said, don't let Justin Fields beat you on design runs or on scrambles. But I have to add Herbert and Montgomery here because those guys are just a load. Tackle well, get those guys to the ground. You hold that Bears running game, you're going to win the game. Number two, protect the football. Do not give this team extra possessions. You're more talented. You should beat them. If you give the football away, though, the quickest way to have the game go the other direction, just like last week, down 14-0 because of a turnover on our first drive. Number three, continue to utilize the play-action passing game. Everything rides off the running game, the outside zone, and the Bears' fast read-and-react defense can potentially be susceptible to play actions and misdirection. So use that play action game in the middle of the field against a defense that wants to zone turn and funnel everything inside. Week 9 picks. 13-2 and two last week, baby! 81-41-1 on the season. Dolphins country, let's ride. Uh, no, that was terrible. Edit it out. Now nah, we'll keep it in. Philly over Houston tonight. Duh. Miami over Chicago. This is a tough one. Chargers over Falcons, but I can see that one going either way. Packers over Lions. Same deal there. I think the Lions are going to get one eventually. Packers haven't looked very good. Take the Patriots over the Colts, although I do want to see the Colts win that game because I want them to win the AFC South because it could be a potential five versus four matchup in the wild card round. Cincy over Carolina. Buffalo over the Jets. Big. Vegas over Jacksonville. Give me the Vikings over Washington. Uh, Arizona over Seattle. It's a tough one, too. Tampa over the Rams. Chiefs over the Titans and Ravens over the Saints on Monday Night Football. Let's go ahead and finish up here with Tua Tungavailoa's Wednesday media availability. He was spicy. He was salty. He was fun. Uh, we shared a fun moment in the media room on the mini hoop talking about Tua Brickavailoa, Tua Baller Vailoa, more like it. Let's go ahead and talk here first about Tua's confidence level after the, the team traded away that first round pick and built around the roster in a way that says, we have our quarterback, let's get the rest. I would say I, I felt supported, um, you know, from the time, you know, Mike came in, you know, getting guys like Tyreek. Um, you know, obviously we had Jalen, we had Mike Gusecki, you know, bringing in guys like um, Raheem Mostert, uh, guys that kind of understood the offense, um, you know, that have been with him, you know, with Trent and uh, River. So, you know, I, I would say I, I felt supported, um, you know, b- before all, all of that. Next, we see this quarterback have the highest passer rating on third downs in a single season of all time, and that stat goes back to 1991 at 142.7. How are you doing that, Tua? Well, I, I think we do a really good job in practice on, um, you know, with, with the scout team. The scout team gives us great looks on what their team plays on third and long, and um, we're also, you know, talking about things that could potentially come up. So if they did come up, you know, where could we go if this doesn't show up? So um, I would say we have a lot of answers uh, for our third down plays, whether it's third and long, third and short um, of potential coverages we could be getting. All right, there we go. Another 40-plus-minute podcast for you guys this week. I hope you're enjoying those as much as I'm enjoying doing all the research and 
all the uh, planning for these shows. It's a lot, but it's fun to do, especially when the team is riding like it is right now. We'll go ahead and come back with you guys tomorrow to get the perspective from Chicago. We'll hear from the assistant coaches. Might have some additional media. We'll see about that as well. But in the meantime, you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Check out the Twitter Spaces show on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock. That's been recorded from last night, so go back and check it out if you have not seen it. Fish Tank Pod with Seth and Juice, international podcast, post-game show on 560, all of that and a heck of a lot more. Also, the team YouTube channel for media availabilities of Chris Greer, Mike McDaniel, Tua Tungavailoa, some Fish Tank and Drive Time content up there as well. Last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, daddy's coming home.